All right, so today uh, we are going to pause uh, our journey through the book of Hebrews, and in day, today we're going to be looking at a passage that uh, is on the issue of worship. And worship is a subject that is always relevant. And in fact, if you think about it, worship is our ultimate uh, purpose. Everything else we do as believers in Jesus, if you've come to that place of putting your faith in Jesus as God's uh, one and only solution to our biggest problem, our separation from him because of sin, um, everything else we do as believers, um, going to a job, uh, raising families, sharing the good news of Jesus with others, uh, here and around the world, growing in our faith, growing as believers, showing compassion to people in need, pursuing justice. All of those things one day we won't do anymore because there won't be a need for those things anymore. But worship is something we will always do. And uh, I don't just mean by that singing worship songs. Uh, sometimes we tend to, to narrow the definition of worship down uh, too much and, and just talk about singing. But, you know, we're going to be exploring the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to be interacting with. I think we will work, but I think it's going to be work that's totally satisfying, not tedious. And uh, we're going to interact and we're going to see the glory of God and respond to the glory of God in ways that now we, we can hardly even imagine. It's going to involve a lot more than singing. Worship does. In fact, we're going to see that in our passage for today. So we're in Mark, uh, the second book of the New Testament, the second of the four biographies we have of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And uh, this uh, occurrence happens just a couple of days before Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial and ultimately go to the cross and die uh, in our place for our sins. So Mark 14, beginning at verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So why do I say this passage is about worship? Well, because worship is what this woman was doing. And you see, it didn't involve singing. Now, in John's gospel, in his account of this same event, we learn that this is Mary. And she's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And uh, she's at this dinner uh, along with uh, her brother and sister and Jesus' disciples. And what Mary does here fits so well with what we know about her. Uh, There's another time when Jesus came to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him while Martha was in the kitchen preparing an elaborate meal, and, and Martha got mad at Mary for neglecting her work as she saw it, when really Mary just wanted to be close to Jesus and hear what he was saying. And so it just totally fits that Mary brings this ointment and uses it on Jesus. And what's unusual about this is not the anointing, okay? That's not something we do, but that was a common custom in that culture that you would anoint uh, someone, and, and especially if that person was an honored guest. So that's, that's not what's unusual. What's unusual is the particular scented oil or ointment that Mary used because it was astronomically expensive. A denarius was basically a day's wage for a common laborer. So over 300 denarii, that translates into a year's wages. And it's a little difficult to uh, know exactly what that would be in our uh, economy because it's so different. But conservatively, we can estimate that it was at minimum something like $10,000 for this jar, this very special ointment. And you think, where did she get that? You know, did, did, she, did she go out and buy it, or did she inherit it? Maybe it was a family heirloom kind of passed down, uh, and everybody felt like it was too expensive to ever use. Well, we really don't know. We just know she had it, and she brought it, and she used all of it to anoint Jesus. And why? Why did she do that? Well, it's clear that her motive was good because of how Jesus responds. And so it's, it's probably really not very complicated. She did it because she loved Jesus. And so she wanted to give him something of great value. Because that's, that's what love does. Love motivates us to give. Uh, she, she was not trying to earn his approval She wasn't trying to impress the crowd. She was simply expressing a heart of adoration just to let Jesus know how much 
he meant to her. And that's, that's at the heart of what worship is. Worship, the heart of worship is, is adoration. To, to, it's a heart that deeply values the person of Jesus and then overflows in expressions of devotion to him. And if we have that kind of heart for him, then there are going to be times when it's going to move us to do something, an act of devotion that just is extravagant. Extravagant things, big things, expensive things, impractical things, risky things. And here's the thing. When you do something extravagant for Jesus out of a heart of love for him, there may very well be those who criticize you for that. And I'm not talking just about people who don't share your faith in Jesus, who, who don't get the Jesus thing. I mean, you might very well be criticized by well-meaning Christian friends, people who are fellow believers in Jesus. I mean, think about it. The other people at this dinner, they all love Jesus, well, except Judas, but they're all, they're not his enemies. They're not against people honoring him, expressing devotion to him, even worship to him. They're, that's what they're all about. They love him. He's their Lord. He's their master. He's their teacher. And in their hearts, the disciples all believe that they would do anything for Jesus, even die for him. But yet, here comes Mary, and she's moved by a heart of adoration to just do this extravagant act of devotion to Jesus, and they all get upset. And they, you know, they whip out their calculators, and they do the math. And, they, and their evaluation is, what a waste! What a waste! Holy smokes, Mary, what in the world were you thinking? And you know what really bothers me? Is I'm pretty sure that if I had been there, I would have thought the same thing. And I might have even said it. But notice what Jesus says. His assessment of what Mary does is so different. He looks at what she does, and he does not call it a waste. He says, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that she's done. And then he asks this very penetrating question. Why are you bothering her? Why are you bothering her? Why are you calling this beautiful thing that she's done, this act of worship, why are you calling that a waste? And I just have to ask, would we ever do that? Would we ever look at an extravagant 
act of devotion, an act of worship, and, and call it a waste? And I have to be honest and say, yeah, probably, probably we would. And why is that? Well, a few reasons came to mind. See what you think. There may be others. One reason we might call this an extravagant act of devotional waste is if, if we think it's, it seems too extreme. It's just too extreme. And most of us are not really comfortable with extreme anything. Um, you know, if, if Mary had just used ordinary anointing oil, you know, she got at the Bethany Walmart off the shelf, and, and it was the conventional anointing oil, and it was applied in the conventional manner at the conventional dinner party, nobody would have cared. You know, it wouldn't have attracted any criticism. Why? Because most of us are conventional. You know, we like fitting in. We like being normal. We, we don't really want to attract uh, a lot of attention to ourselves, most of us. And it's, it's not a bad thing to be conventional unless, unless it keeps you from worshiping, unless it keeps you from doing the thing Jesus wants you to do. You know, moderation might be good in, in many things, but it's not good in the most important thing. And what is the most important thing? Well, Jesus told us. He said the greatest commandment is to love God. Actually, that's not exactly true. He said the great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. All. That sounds kind of extreme. Jesus also said this. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to believe in me, follow me, he must deny himself, that is, say no to himself, and take up his cross. Whoa, that's an instrument of execution. Take up his cross and follow me. It's a one-way journey. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That sounds kind of extreme. And yet it's supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be normal for Christians to be extreme in their love for Jesus. Do you know there is no such thing as loving Jesus too much? There's another reason, though, we might, we might call worship this extravagant act of devotion, we might call it a waste, is if it seems too undignified, too undignified. Now, in John's account of this uh, occurrence, he gives us a couple of additional details uh, about it. So this is John chapter 12, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet 
with her hair. Okay, so in addition to putting the ointment on his head, she also put it on his feet, and then she wiped off the excess with her hair. So that means she had to unbind her hair and let it down, which in that culture would not have been considered a proper thing for a woman to do in public. And so what that tells me is Mary wasn't thinking about her dignity. She wasn't thinking about her reputation. She was only thinking of Jesus and how much she wanted to honor him because she loved him. It is difficult to worship if you're preoccupied with what other people think of you. There's a very interesting story in the Old Testament about King David. And it's about a time when the people of Israel were, were re, uh, reclaiming, getting back the Ark of the Covenant, which of all the articles in the tabernacle, the portable temple, that was the most significant. That was the item that represented the very presence of God that went in the Holy of Holies. So they're getting the ark. Uh, David is having it brought back to Jerusalem. And while it's coming, this spontaneous worship celebration just breaks out. And David joins in. Meanwhile, his wife, Michal, is watching all this from a from a window in the city. So 2 Samuel 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 14. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David, this is her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar or common fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. Now it's important to understand, David wasn't being immodest. Okay, he's fully clothed. He's just not wearing his royal robes that kings are supposed to wear. And I suppose it'd be sort of like if the President of the United States were dancing on the White House lawn in shorts and a t-shirt. There's nothing immoral about it. It just wouldn't be particularly dignified. But David says, it was before the Lord. David wasn't focused on his dignity. He was focused on the greatness of God and this great thing that God was doing, bringing this ark, this symbol of his presence back to his people. See, worship is about making God look great. It's not about making ourselves look great. And if, if we're focused on ourselves and just 
preoccupied with what other people are thinking of us, we're focused on the wrong thing. Now, it's true, you could take this to an extreme. Uh, the Corinthian church did that. They were just all into themselves and what they were doing and gave no thought whatsoever to you know, how things looked. And 1 Corinthians 14.40 says this, when a church gathers together, all things should be done decently and in order. But is that saying we shouldn't be emotional in our worship? No. It's just saying we shouldn't be chaotic. The Bible is full of emotional worship. People kneeling, falling on their faces, lifting their hands, shouting, clapping, singing, weeping, rejoicing. Worship is the adoration of the greatest person in the universe. How can you have unemotional adoration? That's a contradiction in terms. That would be like a husband saying to his wife, Oh, sweetheart, you know I love you. I adore you. I just don't feel anything for you. Not a good thing to say. This kind of talk, I'm sure, is going to make, you know, maybe somebody feel uncomfortable, especially guys, uh, because, you know, we've been sort of trained to think that expressing emotion is feminine. And adoring Jesus, that just sounds flat out weird. And, and so we might justify, you know, no emotion in our worship by just saying, well, you know, I'm just not an emotional person. And it's true, some people are more emotional than others, that's, that's for sure. But if you don't have feelings for anything, something's wrong. Okay, men, you were made to have strong feelings for your wife. You were made to have strong feelings for your children. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion. That's a strong emotion. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Dads, if some terrorist hijacked a bus and one of your kids was on it, I'm pretty sure you'd feel something. Feelings are not feminine. They're human. I've seen soldiers cry their eyes out remembering a brother in arms who was lost in battle. I've seen grown men carry on. So I went to a Timbers match one time. That's, uh, you know, the Portland soccer team. And it was a critical game in the playoffs. And, you know, I got invited to go and I went and it was quite a game. And it was tied up until the very last moment when the Timbers won with one kick. And the people just went crazy. And as we were leaving, I saw grown men hugging each other and screaming and carrying on and laughing and crying. I mean, there was all kinds of emotion there. Jesus himself, the manliest man who's ever lived, wept on more than one occasion. Guys, it's just not true that we don't have strong feelings. 
It's just that the world has taught us that having strong feelings for God is only for women and children, and that's a lie. That's a lie. You know, what, what do you feel? If you go fishing and catch a really big fish, what do you feel when uh, your favorite team wins the championship? What do you feel if, if uh, your son or your daughter kicks the winning goal? Uh, those things... Those things feel great. And you know why? Because they're just a little glimmer of God's greatness. Everything that's great, everything that makes us want to celebrate is just a reflection of Him. God is worthy of deep emotion. Masculine emotion, feminine emotion. He is worthy. He deserves our hearts and our minds and our voices and our bodies expressing devotion to Him. And then there's one more reason we might be tempted to call extravagant worship a waste. And that's obvious here. If it just seems too expensive. Too expensive. And honestly, this is really tricky to talk about because we do want to be wise stewards of the resources God gives us. And he gives us many responsibilities to steward those resources toward. So I don't think this story is teaching us to be foolish. But here's the trouble. That practical, sensible side we have, it never thinks that extravagant expressions of devotion are a good idea. I mean, ask yourself, what if Mary had come to you you know, before this dinner, and said, I've got this idea. I've got this idea. I've inherited this flask of just really expensive anointing oil, and we've never used it. Um, And it, I mean, it's worth like $10,000. But I was thinking, you know, we've got this dinner, and Jesus is going to be there, and oh, I just want to honor him. I just love him so much. What do you think? What do you think you would have said? that you should do with that $10,000 jar of ointment. It's, it's very interesting to me that 2 Corinthians 9.6, and that section is all about giving, says this, that God loves a cheerful giver, an enthusiastic giver. It doesn't say God loves a careful giver. Now, again, we got to be careful It doesn't mean we should be careless and foolish. But the fact is that when Jesus gives his assessment of what's going on here, he doesn't praise the careful, wise, thoughtful disciples. He praises Mary and her extravagant worship. Mary's the one who gets praised. Mary gets remembered for her act of devotion Her love, in this instance, her love shines brighter than their calculated wisdom. So I think that's a warning for us. Be very careful not to quench extravagance when it's coming from a genuine heart of adoration for Jesus. 
And what are we supposed to do with this? I, I really can't see a way to boil this down to a list of do's and don'ts, a list of simple principles to apply. All I can do is raise a question for you and for me. What could you give Jesus that would be an act of extravagant devotion to him? I mean, maybe some of us could give an extravagant amount to the poor now that Jesus is no longer here with us physically. And he said, doing good to them is, is a good thing. So maybe an extravagant gift like to Open House Ministries. That's a ministry we support as a church. And they do a phenomenal job of helping people get out of homelessness and deal with the issues of, of addiction or, or family uh, dysfunction and other stuff. They, they, they really help people. Uh, or maybe, maybe we could give him our reputation and stop worrying if other people feel like we're going overboard with this Jesus thing. Or maybe we could risk expressing worship more emotionally. Or maybe there's something else extravagant that you, you believe Jesus would be pleased with. And so I'll just say this. If your motive is devotion to Jesus, go for it. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of all extravagance. Um, and I know you've told us to be wise, and, and I want to be, and I'm sure everyone tuning in wants to be. We don't want to be silly. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be wasteful. But Lord, um, don't, don't let our wisdom quench our devotion. Uh, help us be willing to be extravagant, knowing that everything we have comes from you in the first place. And let us be those cheerful givers that you love. You love us all, but you love those who give cheerfully in a special way. So, Lord, will you help us? Will you help us know how to respond and react to this beautiful thing that Mary did? Um, May our hearts be moved with genuine adoration for you. We pray in your name. Amen.